kind of a funny thing. Uh, this morning, Douglas said his family's not here, so he was going to sit up here. And I was like, oh, we get to sit together. We never sit at the same time. Anyway, all right. Uh, if you would go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 45. We've already uh, been here last week some. We were in 44 and 45. Um, and what we saw last week was how Joseph believed in God. He, he believed that God was present and so he spoke about God. He believed that God was present and powerful, and so he saw how God related to his life. The fact that he'd been sent there to Egypt, he said, no, it is actually God that sent me here, not you, my uh, brothers. And we saw that because of that, Joseph was able to do an unbelievable thing of forgiving his brothers and even asking them to come down uh, and live with him in Egypt. And so we saw that that was what it was to be a great theist. That was uh, kind of the words I used. I realized theist can mean lots of things in our world. Yeah, I believe in God. Well, Yahweh God, that kind of great theist. Uh, but that's what we saw last week is, is Joseph has had this time that he had been trusting in the Lord all these years. The promises God had made uh, to his, his forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Joseph, uh, Jacob, and, and passed on and so forth. And as well as the dreams that had been given to him, he believed that God would fulfill. And so he, we saw this man who had been trusting in God and cultivating that relationship with God and outflowed words of theology and uh, ideas of theology and actions of theology and so that's what we saw last week was focusing on Joseph but this week we are going to look at uh, now Joseph as um, not not only being uh, a, a great theologian and a man who truly believed in God but actually a, a picture of God and a picture of Christ and even the plan that he has for his brothers and how that is <clears throat> the plan God has for us that's what we'll be looking at today from Genesis. But I want to kind of set the stage for you. I want to set up a tension. I want to put tension in you a little bit uh, because I believe God's word does this. I'm going to ask you a question. Are you tired? If you were just to think about your life, are you tired most of the time? Are you worn out? Is life pressing in on you, wearing you thin, wearing you out? Now, my next question is, is that the life God has promised you? I'm going to read some passages, and I'm going to uh, ask you to just think about how this relates to your own life. Is this your experience? Is this what your everyday looks like? Does it match up to these promises and truths? These first four will be directly from uh, Jesus, and the final one will be from John uh, just speaking on what Jesus has done. The first one, Matthew 11, verses 28 and 29, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So I'll help you think this through. Here's a possible thought that you could have when comparing that with your experience as a Christian doing life in this fallen world. Hmm. I don't feel very rested. And my life certainly doesn't feel <clears throat> very easy or light. John 10.10, 10, Jesus says, the thief, speaking of Satan, the thief, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Hmm. You know, sometimes I, I feel like following Jesus actually feels like it's robbing me of, of life and robbing me of joy. Sometimes it seems like following Satan and following my flesh would actually feel much more abundant. John 15, 5. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Hmm, I do a lot, a lot of activities, my schedule is full, but I don't know how much 
truly lasting spiritual fruit is being produced through my life. John 15, verses 8 through 11. So this is again in John 15, just a few verses down. Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Hmm. I don't know how much I I feel like I'm experiencing the love of God, the love of Christ in my everyday life. And if this is full joy, then I don't have a very high capacity. And my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. 1 John 5, 3, the Apostle John says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Hmm, I don't know. Obeying God's commandments can feel pretty burdensome at times. If those verses are more frustrating than affirming of your experiences, then please know that you are not alone. I gave you all those little thoughts. Those are my thoughts at times. (laughs) Those are the thoughts that pop into my head. Sometimes when I read those passages, I say, man, Jesus, you promised this, that this is what it will be like. How come that's not my experience? How come life, even as a Christian, seems so hard for me? How come I feel like sometimes following Jesus is robbing me rather than giving me abundant life? How come I don't see as much true fruit as I would like to see? Why don't I experience the love of God and fullness of joy? Why do God's commands sometimes seem so burdensome to me? If you feel that way, you are not in the minority. Here is my theory on all of that, of why there is this inconsistency. I believe that much of the reason we go through this life, even as Christians, so I'm making the assumption that you have trusted in Christ for your salvation, the reason we go through this life so tired, so worn out, yet still so unfulfilled, is because even though God has promised us rest and peace and joy, we are simply not taking him up on his offer. God has made the way for us to have rest and peace and joy and fullness, but we are not walking down that path on a regular basis. And I would say what that means is we don't truly, fully believe in God's promises of provision. We don't take him at his word, so we go at it on our own. We spin our wheels. We get on the treadmill. We go nowhere. We're worn out, and we are still unfulfilled. I'm not saying this makes you not a Christian. I'm saying it makes you a uh, not very joy-filled, peace-filled Christian. It makes you a tired and less fruitful Christian. But Jesus says, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. So that's what we're looking for today. We have uh, depicted in Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, what I believe that we are doing to some degree. Now, this is a more ultimate sense that the uh, people in Jerusalem have done this. This is who he's speaking to, the people of Jerusalem. Um, It says this, Jeremiah 6.16, Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where 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 the good way is and walk in it. And find rest for your souls. So there it is, that rest for your souls. That's why I found that verse, by the way, is that cross-reference. Find rest for your souls. But they said, in response to God, we will not walk in it. And that's, that's what I'm telling you, is I believe God has shown us, hey, here is a path you can walk down to find rest for your souls, fruitfulness in your life, peace, joy, And yet many of us, even though we've trusted in Christ, we say, 
I will not walk in it. Because of that, we are largely joyless, anxious, toiling, worn out, mentally, physically, spiritually, even though God has provided a way otherwise. So I'm convinced that if we can uh, look at the ways God has set for us, the things he has promised to provide for us, then our lives can be radically different. I'm telling you guys, this sermon, not because of me, but because of God's word, can make your life radically different, beginning today, if you will listen to it. So I'm going to show you from God's word, Genesis 45, this picture or pattern of the promises God gives us, the, the provision he gives us, and what he invites us to do when we trust in him. So that's what we're going to see here in Genesis 45. I believe that Joseph is a picture of Christ. I believe in some ways here, as you'll see, Pharaoh is actually a picture of God the Father and uh, the way he treats us and the promises of provision And then we'll see, does that sound like burdensome, toiling, joyless, anxious? All right, Genesis 45 will begin uh, at verse 4. Genesis 45 will begin at verse 4. By the way, this is going to end up being two sermons. I will not make it through my notes. So if I end funny, that's why, because I don't actually have an ending uh, to two sermons. I have an ending to one big one. Uh, Genesis 45 beginning in verse 4, if you have found it. So Joseph said to his brothers, he just revealed himself to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall shall dwell in the land of Goshen And you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you. For there are yet five years of famine to come so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now uh, and now your eyes see and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then they fell upon his brother Benja- Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck, and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. When the re- when the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, "Say to your brothers, do this." Load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your households and come to me and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. The sons of Israel did so. And Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them, he gave a change of clothes, but to Benjamin, he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father, he sent as follows, 10 donkeys loaded with the, with the good things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers away. And as they departed, he said to them, Do not quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart, that is uh, Jacob's heart, and his heart became numb for he did not believe them. When he told, when they, sorry, but when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, 
And when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. So much here. So much here. We're just going to pull out some truths again to see the promises that God has uh, said that he would provide for us. The deposit he's given us already in the way that we can live in light of that. So let's pray together. Father God, too many of us are worn out. Physically, emotionally, mentally, and even spiritually, even though you have promised rest. Father God, too many of us have gotten on the treadmill of this world which goes absolutely nowhere, instead of running with endurance the race that is set before us. We are weighed down by so many things. So God, would you help us today to see this picture of your promises, this pattern that you've set forward, that if we come to you, trust in your Son, we truly can have rest. For our souls. We can truly be joyful. We can truly be fruitful. And we can truly live for your glory to the maximum. Lord, would you help us to see this today and live in light of it? This I pray in your son's name. Amen. When you think about what it is that makes you so worn out, I kind of uh, mentioned this to you last week. I think there are two motivators to wear ourselves down to the bone, just, just tired out. And these are kind of opposite things a, a little bit, uh, not really, I guess. Anyway, these two categories, these two motivators are fear and longing. Fear and longing drive us to wear ourselves out. So fear could be we fear loss, we fear harm, we feel whatever humiliation we may suffer, or whatever mix of those things we could lose while we're being harmed and humiliated. And so, we struggle and toil to try to keep those things from happening. We, we, we put all our energy in trying to manipulate the situation and regain control of the situation so that these things that we fear don't come to pass. We wear ourselves out because of fear. And then there's the other one, longing. And I would say that this one, by the way, happens the second you come out of fear. Okay, so you have fear, so you're spending all your energy right here. I'm afraid that this will happen. The second you come out of fear and you no longer have this looming threat, all of a sudden you say, oh, I want more. <laughs> this, is, this is our human state. Uh, okay, now that I don't have this looming threat, what, what, what more could I have? And so you think about earthly gain, material things, uh, earthly pleasures, earthly prestige. We long for these things. We desire them. And so we put ourselves, once again, on the treadmill of this world. We turn it up to 10, and we hope that we'll get to somewhere. You guys know that I run uh, a good bit. I haven't been lately with um, having my shoulder surgery, but... Um, I've never gotten anywhere on my treadmill before. Hmm. I start in a room with my treadmill. It doesn't matter how many miles or how fast I run or how much I wear myself out. I don't get anywhere. I still have to walk out that same door I entered in because running on the tre treadmill gets me nowhere. And that's what this longing is. It is a treadmill of you need this new thing, this new gadget, this new person to like you, to think highly of you. I mean, just think about it. This is what the world tells us. Your iPhone used to be good. Uh, wait, now it has three cameras instead of just two or even the one that mine has. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a treadmill. That's what it is. Your, your phone still makes phone calls and you can text, whatever. But you didn't actually move anywhere. Nothing of true gain. Anyway, so there's fear and longing. We fear. Some of you are very well acquaint acquainted with this fear of what might happen in your life and you fight it you spend all your energy and some of you are very acquainted with this longing you want more you want more you want more and some of us 
even like myself at times, are acquainted with both. I fear and I long, and I uh, pendulum swing back and forth between the two. And we are all worn out because of it. So the question is, does God have anything for us to get out of this wasting of our lives and wasting of our energy on fear and this treadmill of longing? I believe the answer is yes, and I believe we see the pattern here in Genesis 45. You remember, Genesis is the book of beginnings. It sets forth the pattern of the way God will deal with his people, and even not his people in judgment. But this is how God deals with his people is what we'll see today. So number one, this is where I want to start. God's provision calms our fears. God's provision calms our fears. It doesn't mean you'll never have a fear again in your life. And that's why I use the word calms. But God's provision calms. It soothes our fears. It makes them not overwhelming. It makes us not give ourselves to them. Again, I I don't want to go too far here, but you think about the amount of life we waste on fear. Your life is a gift, by the way. A gift from God to be used and even enjoyed in, in a sense. And fears rob us of that because we spend all our emotional energy worrying about what might happen. As though our worry can do something about it, right? We spend all our mental energy plotting how we might keep these things from happening. How am I going to work this? We spend all our physical energy trying to carry out and keep up our man-made plots. And then at the end of the day, all our energy and time is wasted and our spirit remains dry right our spirit our our connection to god remains dry sapped why because we wasted all our time and all our energy on fear let's look at joseph's brothers we'll just kind of think about it uh, because i don't have every particular text it would take a long time to point at every text here but i think they have two main fears in their lives um you know it I know, I know their main one for sure, but I think the, the first uh, fear that they have is being accepted by their father. I mean, we saw that. They were so jealous of their brother and the affection their father gave him. Remember the coat of many colors? Remember his dreams? And not even having to go out as a shepherd with them? They, they, they had this fear of being accepted by their father, and that fear so consumed them It said they couldn't even say a kind word to him. And then finally it culminated in them uh, first plotting to kill him, but then uh, selling him into Egypt. And so this uh, used their their time and energy, you know, just to do all of this. And they had to plot, okay, we'll take his his coat and we'll dip it in an animal's blood and we'll lie to our father. And you just, you think about that, all the toil that that took. Okay, so they, they pulled it off. Their father, Jacob or Israel, believes them. Did that bring them rest? No. You look at the rest of their lives and they are just anxious. Uh, You see, finally Judah, you know, leaves the house because he can't handle it. And things get really crazy with Judah. But anyway, bringing things back, they're, they're, they're just run by this fear of not being accepted by their father. And because of this, because of following this fear of not being accepted, they now have this even greater fear. Their greatest fear is now fear of punishment. Because of what they did to Joseph. And again, there's many examples of this. Of each time bad things happen to them, they say, this must be because of what we did to our brother. God has found out our sins, they say. And then we even saw there in verse 3, 45 verse 3, this is the verse before we started. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. They were so afraid of, of, of this all, all this time. By the way, it's been, I think, 22 years, if I remember correctly, since they sold him into slavery. All this time, they've been bound up with this fear, this anxiety of being found out, of being punished for this incredible sin. And now standing in front of them is the man they, st- they sinned against. Well, well, it's just Jacob, or I mean, sorry, it's just Joseph, big deal. But he's the ruler of Egypt, second in command under pharaoh and by the way if you're against the second in command you're against the first in command right you come to my house and you mess with my wife 
you didn't just mess with my wife. I'll just, we'll leave it there. Anyway, it's, it's, it's just, I'm just saying, it's the same principle here. Uh, they now have the two most mighty, most fearsome people in the universe, or not universe, sorry, uh, on the planet at this time are now against them. And they've been living in this fear, and it is worse than they could have ever imagined. They never imagined that this is the way their fear would work out. So it is intensified, if anything else. And they have this fear of punishment. This has been ruining their lives for the past 22 years, what they did. And even before that, it had been ruining their lives, fearing uh, not having their father's acceptance. The person they thought whose acceptance mattered. So how does Joseph as a picture of Christ, give them a way out of this terrible lifestyle of fear? Well, I'd say he, he, in effect, promises to provide. Provide what? Well, what were their main fears? Lack of acceptance and punishment. Let's listen here uh, again in, in the verses, uh, verse 4 and 5. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. That's acceptance. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. That is forgiveness. And we see that acceptance play out again uh, in verse 15. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them after his brothers, or sorry, after that um, his brothers talked with him. You guys see that? I mean, I, I, we've already looked at this last week in depth. This incredible sin, deserving of a very weighty punishment. Joseph says, I, the person with the most power and Pharaoh behind me, forgive you. And not only that, I accept you. You are my brothers once again. I mean, that's disowning, right? to first plot to kill and then sell your brother into slavery, that's called disowning. You know, I'd rather them go through the legal process of disownership. Uh, they've disowned him, but he has now accepted them back. You are my brothers. We even see Pharaoh gives him the same acceptance. Verse 16, when the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come, it pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And then it goes on and he wants them to come down once again. And so you see, and by the way, we, we talked about this uh, in the first weeks that Joseph was so loud about these things that all, all of Pharaoh's household heard, heard him. So most likely they knew more than just that his brothers were there. It, it seems they knew the whole story uh, to some degree. But the fact that Joseph had forgiven, that Joseph had accepted, makes Pharaoh now forgive and accept. Pharaoh's happy to do this. It pleased him. It didn't say so he begrudgingly accepted them. No, it pleased him. Hey, Joseph, you forgive them, I forgive them. Joseph, you accept them, I accept them. Tell me that's not a picture of, the, of what we see in the New Testament, that if we are accepted, if we are forgiven by the Son, brought in as brothers of Christ, as family of Christ, that then God the Father says, you're my children. I accept you, I forgive you, and does God begrudgingly do that? No, because we know John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. God sends Jesus, so it's even greater a picture than what we see here, but it, this is a picture nonetheless. So work with me here. This did not necessarily get them the acceptance of their father that they wanted. That's not a bad thing to want your father to accept you. But it's not an ultimate thing when it's compared to being accepted by Pharaoh and the second in command, Joseph. And now they accept them. They have the acceptance that they truly needed. Even though they were pursuing this acceptance from their father, the acceptance they truly needed from the most powerful people in the world, they now have that acceptance. Think about our, our own lives. We may fear not being accepted by people, not having the honor, the prestige that we desire. But when we're accepted by God, what are we worried about? Jesus certainly was not worried about acceptance, by the way. You look at him, and you could tell he was so glad in, so satisfied in the way the Father who had sent him accepted him and, and, and uh, accepted his life, you know, that he wasn't worried about what other people thought. 
again. So many passages I could look at about the Pharisees and how they looked for glory from men. But Jesus sought the glory of the Father and so pleased him. In the same way, we have that acceptance from God, that fear that should overarch, override any fear we have. And then even fear of punishment. Hebrews 2 tells us that, that we've been freed from this slavery, this, uh, this bondage to the fear of death. There in Hebrews, it's specifically talking of the Jews who were uh, in bondage to the fact that they couldn't keep the law well. But you and I have not kept the law either. Even if we don't have the Mosaic code of ceremony and sacrifice, I haven't kept the Ten Commandments. Not a single one of them perfectly. Not a single one of them perfectly. Therefore, without Christ, without this forgiveness, we live in fear of death and punishment. Now, we might have fears in this lifetime, right? Physical fears, economic fears, relational fears. But listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 10. It's, it's an argument from the greater to the lesser. Matthew 10, 28 to 32, Jesus says, Do not fear those who, who kill... Sorry, I'll start over. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me, Jesus, before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven." Do you see that argument from the greater to the lesser? <clears throat> Fear God, because he's the only one who can, uh, you know, put, not only kill your body, but, but kill your soul, throw your soul into hell. But if you don't have fear because you've been accepted by Jesus, it says there, uh, anyone who acknowledges me before men, I'll acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. If you have that, then you don't have to fear God. You don't have to fear that this greatest punishment, this greatest one who can kill both body and soul. So if you have acceptance with him, then, then don't fear what men can do to you. That's how it started. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. So that's people. Other people could kill you. That may not be your most pressing concern, but what about health issues? Can health issues kill your soul? No, that your health issues cannot kill your soul. So don't fear them. If you've already made things right with God, if he's already accepted you, forgiven you, then you don't have to fear health issues. Economic issues. Economic issues. Those can hurt. Can they kill your soul? No. So once again, this argument from the greater to the lesser, you take your fear, you plug it in, and you say, I've got the forgiveness of God, therefore do not fear those who can kill the body or make life difficult. But fear him. And then it says, fear not. Therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Well, why is that? Well, because we've been accepted. We've been brought into his family. That's Jesus' argument there in Matthew 10. And I would say the same thing applies to us. What this means is, just like Joseph's brothers were finally allowed to quit wasting their energy, their emotions, their mental powers, their physical energy, trying to cover up their sin, trying to keep from this punishment, trying to keep from their fears, you can finally stop wasting your energy, your time with fear. You no longer have to fear the punishment of rejection of the God of the universe. The most important person has accepted you. The most important person has forgiven you. So any loss of honor, health, jobs, security, whatever else, even harm cannot eternally harm you. And Paul makes that very clear at the end of Romans 8, doesn't he? None of these can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Who's with me? Who wants to get off this, this just tense feeling in our stomachs that saps our energy, that takes our time? God's provision, he has promised this provision and it should calm our fears. But fear is not our only life waster, as we uh, talked about earlier, because the second we don't have fear, then we pursue longings. So some of you might say, well, I'm not worried about too much, you know. 
whatever happens, happens. But you know what I really want is this life right here, right now to be really, really fun or really, really comfortable or really, really luxurious. I need the bigger car, the better TV, phone. I need my relationships. I need to be the most popular. I need to be all of these things, whatever your longings are. I need constant pleasure in my life, constant entertainment in my life. These are longings that we have. But I'll show you, number two, God's provision calms our longings. Not only our fears, but also our longings. These promises of provision should calm our longings. Once again, it doesn't mean extinguish longings that we might have, but it calms them. It makes it to where they don't consume us and don't drive our life like they once did. Really though, think about how much of your life is wasted on the treadmill of chasing the things you long for. Pleasure, comfort, ease, material things. We got to, anytime we're offered the, the, the higher position, we've got to take it because then we could buy more, right? Even if it would, you know, take all my time and just think of it. And, and then you, you even think about material possessions, we get more of it and then we just have to maintain it and we have to use it and, you know, it ends up just dragging us down. James 4 verses 1 through 3 says this. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire, that's long, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So all of that is talking about this overwhelming longings that we have in our lives. And not only do they, they sap us of time and energy, they ruin relationships. Say, so you're not going to get in my way of me getting pleasure, of me getting comfort. I mean, I think about it, even with my children, in general, like if, if, I, if I were to be honest, it would, it would be like the reason they most get in trouble is probably taking my comfort and like quiet away or what, you know. Like, uh, I have this desire, and so I quarrel, and so I fight. Don't get in my way of the things I long for. But God, in his provision, calms our longings. Let's look at this with Joseph's brothers. They were not immune to this at all. In fact, I'd say they're a great example of how longings can lead to an incredibly uh, unhappy, sinful lifestyle. Again, they desired more from their father. So you have the one side, they feared not being accepted. They desired and longed for more from their father, Jacob. They desired more honor than they were currently getting. I could give you examples of that um, uh, in other places uh, there, there uh, in Genesis. Uh, they, they desired to get more out of their, their lackluster jobs. They seem to like uh, be angry that Joseph isn't out there working the fields uh, before they sold him. They desired a little extra cash in their pockets. Let's not get our hands bloody with our brother. Uh, let, let's just sell him to these uh, slave traders. And so they ambushed their brother and sold him into slavery. They make shipwreck of their lives. You think again of Judah getting a Canaanite wife and uh, then, then later <laughs> a prostitute who is his daughter-in-law. I mean, he's following his longings and uh, not going real well. But let's see how Joseph provides to calm their longings. He says uh, in verse 9 through 11, Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, which is their father as well, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to see me. Sorry, come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you. There's a couple things going on here. Uh, number one, they're coming down as friends of the second highest in command in Egypt here. He's bringing them down to the land of Goshen. Goshen is uh, at the, the Nile 
kind of a, a delta area where you have all that sediment that's constantly being deposited. Goshen was an oasis. Like even in the time of famine, this may have been the only place that would have something, uh, you know, fruitful going on. But certainly after the famine would pass, this would be the place to be, especially as herdsmen with, with flocks and herds. And he says, verse 11, there I will provide for you. Then Pharaoh actually steps it up a notch. <laughs> Pharaoh says, uh, verse 17 and following, Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your households and come to me and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this, Take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Do you hear the kind of provision that's being promised to them? Joseph says, I will provide for you. He doesn't say exactly what that will look like. Uh, but Pharaoh expands on that. You'll get the best of the land of Egypt. Once again, Goshen, I believe, was that for them. And you shall eat of the fat of the land. That's kind of weird phraseology for us. But it's saying like, whatever's on the land is yours to reap, yours to harvest. It's all yours. You won't have to work for your food or anything like that. It'll just be there for you to eat. And then it says there, the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. That's saying all the contents of the land, it's yours. Whatever you want. He's already sending these wagons, which don't think wooden wagons creaking down the road. These are Pharaoh's wagons. These were Rolls Royces that he's sending them up with uh, to, to load up. Do you hear all of that? They have not only been accepted and forgiven, they now have this provision that, that will quench their longings that has now been promised to them. I'll provide for you the best of the land of Egypt. You'll eat of the, the fat of the land. I mean, any longings the brothers might have had before, this has outdone. Friends of Pharaoh, friends of uh, Joseph, second in command, the best of the land, wealth, honor, all of that is promised to them. Any longing they had is now outdone. They no longer have to strive for it. Again, don't, don't, don't miss that this is the same provision that has been promised to you. If you have been accepted and forgiven by Christ, if you've trusted in his salvation, you are now not only brothers, if you will, brothers and sisters of Christ, so that acceptance, that honor, but you are now fellow heirs of Christ Jesus, Paul says in Romans 8, 17. Heirs. Heirs, heirs of what? The world, literally, the world is yours. Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What? I mean, do you see that parallel there? All of the land of Egypt is yours. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And that, that Beatitudes is listing what it looks like, the, the attitudes of a true Christian. They'll inherit the earth. We could go on and on truly about what God has laid up for you. And by the way, he even uh, sent them down with, with gifts. You know, he, he sent, uh, loads them down. Can't even find the, the passages here. But he sends them down with all sorts of goods. I will give you the, no, that's not it. Anyways, it's all good. Oh, there it is, 23. To his father he sent as follows, ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt, and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. That's our lives. God has already provided for us what we need, even blessings in abundance, but there is a promise awaiting us. We don't have to toil for it anymore. Do you see how that can pull you off the treadmill of, of pursuing more things, all these things, these longings, more pleasure. Look, you will have pleasures, fullness of joy forevermore. Every longing you could ever have fulfilled in heaven, in God's presence. Even possessions, this is, we, things get hairy and we'd have to talk about it a little bit, but God will have so refined our hearts that we will be able to have 
material goods, but we will enjoy them to the glory of God. So we'll actually enjoy them in the way they were intended to. We'll give thanks to God. We'll honor God for all the good things he has given us. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. You want a bigger house? Just wait for the one in heaven. It'll, it'll be good. Don't worry about it. You can get off the treadmill. I use this um, analogy with you guys uh, um, somewhat often. But you would call me crazy if I said, every time I go out of town, I just can't help it. I redecorate the hotel room. The whole time I'm there, I paint the place. I put in new furniture, you know, new, new tapestry over the, the window, or, uh, you know, new um, window dressings, whatever. I don't know what they're called. I don't, I don't watch enough HGTV. No. Anyways, you would think I'm crazy. New flooring. Jeff, why do you do that? You're only going to be there for like three days. Why would you waste all your time, all your energy, making the hotel room perfect? That's silly. You're going to spend the majority, the overwhelming majority, at home. Don't worry about the hotel room. You'd call me crazy. But do we not do the same thing with our lives? We are here but for a moment, a mist, a vapor, a flower in the field that, that, that shrivels up. And yet we spend our time making our lives perfect. The most, the, the most luxurious, the most pleasurable, the most comfortable when we miss that our, our true home is, is awaiting us. And we're, we're wasting our time. We're wasting our energy. We're wasting our lives. We are on this treadmill of chasing fleshly longings. And they profit us nothing. You could take an extreme example. What is it for a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? But I would say even for us, man, what is it to gain an extra buck, a nicer car, a nicer house, you know, nicer gadget, and lose relationship with God? More, more, more filling we could have with him, more joy we could have in him. And that, that's really the main point of, of this sermon that I want to give you is we all spend our lives, we wear ourselves out. And for what? What do we have to show for it? Is it inwardly fulfilling? Not really. Not the end of the day. We might be happy about this new thing or whatever for a little while, but then it, it loses its luster. While you're thinking, man, all those Black Friday things I just ordered. Anyway. They're, they're not going to make you happy. But my point here is not that I want you to have less anxiety, although that's good, with fear. My point is not just that you'd be less materialistic. We've got the minimal, minimalist movement. That's good, but it's not Christian. What I want to do is not just free you from anxiety and free you from materialism, but I want to show you from God's word that he frees us to pursue what matters. To pursue what matters. God's provision frees us to pursue what matters. That's number three, by the way. It's up on the uh, PowerPoint there. God's provision calms our fears, calms our longings, and it frees us to pursue what matters. I don't have a whole lot of time here. This will be next week's sermon of, well, what does matter? How does it free us? What does that look like in our lives, practically, biblically? Because there's a whole lot of tension here. A whole lot of tension. I mean, does this mean that we now need to renounce all goods? Is asceticism the way? You know, were the monks right to say, no, I can't have anything? No material goods? I mean, should we stop working? Should we quit our jobs? Is that the point here? Next week we will dig further into that, but I will give you quickly the five ways that I see from this passage, and there may be more by the time <laughs> I preach this next week, but these will be our five points next week that we'll dig into further. There we go. Oh, I went too far. Can you guys see that? I can't. Anyway, God's provision frees. So we are free to possess, that is we can have possessions, but not be weighed down. Okay, that's our first one. Here's where I see that, and we'll look at it again in depth tomorrow or uh, next week. 
Verse 45, 20. Listen to this. People, please listen to this and understand that it is a pattern. 45, verse 20. Pharaoh says, Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Have no concern for your goods. Your goods that are up there in Canaan, don't worry about them. What really matters is getting down here into Egypt efficiently, clean. Don't carry all the weights. So you can have things, once again, but have no concern for your goods. If they're just going to weigh you down on, on traveling here to Egypt, don't worry about it. For all the best of the land of Egypt is yours. So don't worry about what you have in this life. So you're free to have things, but don't let them weigh you down. Again, Hebrews 12, 1 says, Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Wouldn't that be great to run with endurance the race set before us instead of running the rat race of having more material goods? Sounds pretty good to me. Sounds pretty fulfilling. Sounds pretty hope-giving, joy-giving. <clears throat> uh, the next one, work. We're free to work, but not be consumed. We're free to work, but not be consumed. Yes, you should have a job. Yes, you should provide for your family. Uh, Paul says that it's uh, worse uh, for a person that doesn't provide for his household than for an unbeliever. He's worse than an unbeliever. If you don't work, you don't eat. It's also said in, in Thessalonians by Paul. <clears throat> but there's a sense in which our work should not consume us so that we can qu quench our fears or fulfill our longings. We don't need to do that. Uh, 45 verses 9 through 11, Joseph says, Hurry up and go to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, and your children, and your children's children, and your flocks, and your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you. I'll pause there. Okay, there's two elements going on in that passage. He says, come down here, you're going to go to Goshen, but bring your flocks and bring your herds so they can continue their jobs, right? But do their lives depend on their jobs? Does their being provided for depend on their jobs? No, it really doesn't. I mean, this is such an interesting concept that they can work, but from a place of, I'm already provided for. I will have whatever I need provide for. If I have any lack, God will, or sorry, Joseph will fulfill it. Do you see that? He says, bring your flocks and your herds. There I will provide for you. So we can work, but, but not with this fear and not with this longing because there's a provision that comes from outside. For them, it's from Joseph. For us, it is from God. Next. Please get this one. Free to spend time with the favored son. Free to spend time with the favored son. It is more than just not being anxious, and it is more than, than not being materialistic. We need our time, we need our energy to pursue relationship with God. I say the favored son because that's kind of the way Joseph is pictured here, but it's obviously the way Jesus is pictured God speaks from heaven, this is my beloved son <laughs> in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him, is what God says. That sure sounds like learn from him, talk with him, you know, have this relationship, spend time with him. I mean, Jesus was physically there, but we still have the presence of Jesus and the word of Jesus here. I see this in 45.10. Joseph says, you shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near to me, be near me. So he's not only bringing them there so that he can provide for them, his brothers. He's actually bringing them there and relieving them of their fears and relieving them of their longings so that they can be near and rebuild this relationship that had been lost. How many of us, Jesus calls us his brother, and yet we have so little relationship with him because we're Always still worried about our fears, spending our time and energy there. And then when that's done, all right, I've got to pursue my longings now. We've got nothing left. After we, we've, we, we use our energy 
putting down our fears and after we pursue our longings, we got no time left. We've got no energy left to open up God's word, to clear our minds, to listen to him, to pray to him, to spend actual time. My wife would hate me, and so would my kids, if all I did was work, 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 and didn't spend time in relationship with them. But God has freed us from being on this treadmill, this, this rat race, so that we can spend time with him. Once again, is the monk life the thing? No, it produces something in us. Jesus says in John 14, sorry, 15, verses 4 and 5, we looked at this earlier, abide in me and I in you. You remember that first of the year, abide in me. It's more than just being saved, isn't it? It is being saved and finding our salvation in him, but it is also thinking on him, hearing from him, praying to him, obeying him, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Pastor Jeff, you don't understand. If, 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 I didn't, if, if I take the time to really sit down and read my Bible and really pray, if I, if I took the time to do that, then, then I wouldn't be able to do all the things that I need to. Guess what? Without him you can do nothing. You're spinning your wheels anyway. You're spinning your wheels anyway. You're doing nothing of true value if you are not abiding in Christ and all that that means for you. I would say just, again, at the very least, it means spending time in his word and in prayer, in communion. And th don't think of it as just, I've got to read my Bible, okay, a bunch of words on a page. No, you're hearing from the living God, and when you're praying, you are speaking to the living God, working on that relationship spending time with him, abiding in him, and what flows out of that is you actually bear much fruit, whereas otherwise you would be fruitless, barren. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You would not believe how pointed that is at me in ministry, that I can spin my wheels doing all sorts of ministry, preaching, studying, but if I'm not truly abiding, truly communing, hearing from, repenting to, loving, finding my joy in, my hope in, my peace in God, then I can do nothing of value. We can come, you can hear a message, cool, and we go and nothing happens. But if I abide in him, there's this, there's this power as, as the, the, the branch gets from the vine. And so I've, even in my own life, had to say, okay, there are things I need to set aside, even good things, that I can abide in Christ. I was talking before the service, Mary and Martha, right? Mary and Martha. I don't have it in my notes to look at. No, I do. Luke 10. This is uh, what happened there. Luke says, Luke 10, 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious, fierce, and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Do you hear that? One thing is necessary. M Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. You have time. The question is, do you have your priorities right? Do you understand the process of where your strength truly comes from to do the things you do need to do? You are now, because of Jesus calming our fears and calming our longings, free to spend time with the favored son. Next, you are now free to love one another. Free to love one another. <clears throat> Joseph told them, now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. That is him, in essence, forgiving them. If they shouldn't be distressed at themselves, he's saying, I'm not either. I'm not angry at you, and I'm not distressed at you. <clears throat> so they've been forgiven and accepted. Then verse 45, or chapter 45, 24, on down the way, he says, Then he sent his, bro his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, 
do not quarrel on the way. So you have these brothers that they've now been joined into, rejoined into the family of Joseph. He sends them out on this journey, we could call life, and he says, don't quarrel along the way. Don't waste your time bickering. I've forgiven you, so you can forgive one another. There's no reason to point fingers and say, well, you're the one who said we should sell him. Well, you're the one who, who cares? It is forgiven, it is done, it is paid for. <laughs> and, and for us, again, it is paid for in Christ. Someone offends you, cool, talk to them about it, but forgive them. It has been paid for in Christ. You do not have to hold them uh, accountable in the sense of you putting judgment on them. You don't. You can forgive them and you can show love to them. Joseph has shown them all this love. Guys, you are my enemies and yet I have loved you. How much more so ought we love one another? We are free to love one another. <clears throat> we love because he first loved us. If anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has seen. Sorry, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And that's what we've been freed to do because of forgiveness. Colossians 3.12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Friends, you are free to love one another. You don't have to hold them uh, uh, accountable in the sense of justice. You hold one another accountable because we want the best for each other. So yes, if we see sin that they seem to be unaware of or unrepented of, we can kindly call each other out, but we show love and we offer forgiveness to the best of our ability. We make things right and repair the relationships. And finally, we are free to obey. Free to obey. Do you see the brothers... They are commanded by Joseph and they are commanded by Pharaoh to go up and get their father and come back down. What do they say? No, we're not going to do that. He's just a scoundrel anyway. No, they have now seen a, a Joseph and a Pharaoh who are forgiving and accepting and will provide for them. Now they want to obey his command, right? Now they want to do what he says. And the same should be true for us, guys. His commandments are not burdensome, uh, John says in 1 John 5, because we see the goodness of God. We see that his, his commandments are not meant to harm us, but to give us life. And again, I bring to you, uh, it's all the way at the top for me, um, John 15, 8 through 11. I won't, I'll start in verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you because I want you to do whatever I say. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. God is not trying to rob you. Look at him. And that only happens as you spend time in his word, as you see his promises, as you see the provision, as you see the sacrifice of his son for the, the grossness of yours and my sins. We can trust him. We can obey him. It frees us. To pursue what matters. So now comes a, a decision time. And we'll look at these even more next week. These five points of what matters and what it looks like to pursue those and all the biblical nuances. Hopefully I can keep it to one week. But the question for you today is, are you going to stay in the rat race? Are you going to let fear continue to control you? Are you going to look to the promises of God and what he has already provided? Trust in those and rest in him. Pursue him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that though we live in a broken, troublesome world, even a fearsome world, we thank you that you are greater. You are more fearsome, yet you have put us in the shadow of your wings. And so we don't have to be afraid. There are many things that catch our attention, that catch our eyes, many hobbies, pursuits, comforts, pleasures. But you are greater. You are the pleasure that far surpasses all of those. 
And God, so many of us don't even know that because we haven't tasted and seen that you are good. We haven't drank fully of you. We haven't eaten fully of you. And so we think these things are better. Help us to know right now, God, based on what you've already done for us, the freedom you have purchased for us, that pursuing you is better than pursuing our fleshly longings, Lord. Oh God, let us set aside time to rest in you, to think on you, to abide in you, so that the rest of our lives will be flavored with that love and joy and peace. Let the rest of our lives actually be fruitful because we set aside some time for you, Lord, to have the, our, our minds transformed into what it ought to be. God, help our wills right now to choose the better portion the way Mary did instead of Martha. Help us to trust you. Help us to find our fears calmed in you and our longings calmed in you that we can pursue what matters. This I pray in your son's name. Amen.